Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Well, family, if you got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Revelation chapter 21. How many hours are like, oh my gosh, he said Revelation. <laughs> Revelation chapter 21. Y'all go ahead and stand on your feet if you're able uh, as we read the word of God together. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. Hello to you that are online too. Revelations chapter 21. Verses 1 through 6, if you got it, go ahead and say, got it. Hear now the reading of God's word. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, listen to this. Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Very word of God. Amen. Today, I want to preach on the topic, he makes all things new. Turn to your neighbor and say, he makes all things new. He makes all things new. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. God, I do ask, as I ask each week, hide me behind your cross. Decrease me so that you may increase. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. For you are my Lord and my Redeemer. Get glory in this place. And let us truly believe that you make all things new. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, if you've hung around or you've been in my office for any period of time and you've paid attention to the technology that's in my office, you would know that I like Apple products. Just like Apple products. I have Apple Watch, an iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, Apple earbuds, you name it. I like Apple. And so if you're an Android or a PC user, shame on you. 
Apple is just better. And all my Apple users said, amen. Amen. And see, here's the thing, though, that you don't know about most of the Apple products that I have, or at least what I used to have. I, I always bought them refurbished. And I know everybody's thinking, that, well, Pastor, do you just cheat? No, it's not that. Here's why. When a product is released, usually there are some kinks in it. Usually there are some problems that you don't know about because it's new. There's technological problems. And what happens is that you get that phone or you get that that product and it has an issue. And what do you do? You take it back to the store and you exchange it for a new one. And now that Apple has it back in their possession, they can't turn around and sell that same product for the same price. So now it's at a lower price. But the thing I really like What I really like about refurbished products is that Apple takes this once product that had some issues with it. They get to working on it and they fix all the kinks. They fix all the problems that this product once had. And then they put their stamp of approval on it. They put the same warranty on it, or at least you can buy the same warranty. You can buy the same Apple care that you would get with a new one. Follow me with this. The same exact product that once had kinks has no more problems with it. And now it's available to buy at a lower price. Some of y'all missing this thing. The product that once had problems has been brought back to the market with no problems. Everything taken away, thus making this product better than the new one. See, the point I'm trying to make is that in this passage, the writer is trying to let us know that Jesus is coming back. And for those that believe in his name, we'll be like that once refurbished Apple product made brand new. No kinks, no blemishes. Watch this. No pain, no suffering, no sin, no problems at all. Made brand new, made to live With God forever and ever in glory. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a day that I look forward to. That's a day to look forward to. A day that in a day like today where we're in a pandemic and it's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of this. Some of you guys walked in here weary, worried about different things. It's unfathomable to think about a day where there's no sin, there's no evil, there's no problems. We'll be in perfect harmony, perfect peace with God. It's unfathomable when you turn on the news and you see mess every day. But the writer here is telling us in the text that in day that, that this day is indeed coming. Jesus is coming back. Got two points for you today. One, a qualitative difference. Let's talk about a qualitative difference. And number two, A day to look forward to. A day to look forward to. The book of Revelation is exactly what it's called. It's a revelation or the revealing of things to come and the unseen realities. The book is both apocalyptic as well as prophetic, meaning it talks about 
things that are to come, but it's prophetic because it came from God. This is God's writing. This is God giving it through man as writing, which is fitting because Jewish apocalyptic literature, watch this, it was written after the Old Testament to give the Israelites uh, some hope to look forward to what God is going to do, that, that God is going to come. He's going to save them. So that's Jewish apocalyptic literature. And in this book, hear me, God is doing the same thing through the book of Revelation. He's talking about what's to come. The book of the here, Revelation, is the word of God written by one of uh, Jesus's disciples, the disciple who was commonly known as the beloved disciple. This is John. John, he wrote this letter. He's writing it from an island called Patmos, where he has been exiled for preaching Jesus's name, believing in Jesus. So he's on Patmos. Most likely he's a slave working in the, the mining and the mining industry. He's there again for just continually preaching about Jesus in the face of calamity and all the mess around. John wrote also the book of John, the gospel of John, where he emphasizes Jesus being God. See, he says Jesus is Lord. He's always been Lord. He has a knack for talking about the deity of Jesus. Watch this at the same time talking about him being Savior. We see that all throughout John's writing and you see it in the book of Revelation too. He does the same thing here where he's revealing Jesus as the true and one and only conqueror. The beginning and the end. This whole book is written to talk about what is to come, but really to give believers hope. But see, therein lies the problem. Because we're commonly told not to read the book of Revelation. How many of y'all? We don't, we, we don't want to jump into Revelation. Because it's dark, it, it's gloomy, the, the writing there, it, it's scary. I, I really don't understand the book of Revelation. So, so you know what? I'm not going to read it. But honestly, the book is only really that way if one reads it not knowing who Jesus truly is. Because for the believer, when you read the book of Revelation, it should give you hope because Jesus, watch this, in the end, he's triumphant. With all the mess and things that are going on in our lives and you see in this world, all of that, in the end, Jesus wins. So for the believer, what that means is that the believer wins in the end. The book talks about how the world will not get better, but the world will get worse. But in the end, Jesus wins. So, 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 so hear me. For, if anything, for the believer, this book is a word of hope. It's a simple hold on. It's, it's him saying, I see the mess and I see the stuff that's happening in the world. Jesus is saying, hold on. I, I, got, I got all of this under my control. I know it may seem like I don't, but I still have all of this under control. And someone needs to hear that. You walked into this morning in this service and you're, you're feeling worried. You're weary. You're tired. You're overwhelmed with everything, overcome by anxiety. You don't know if you can go anymore. And Jesus, through the word here, is saying, hold on. Hold on. The book of Revelation, hear me, it makes the Advent season that we're about to walk into powerful. It makes it meaningful because 
It lets us know that although Jesus came as a baby 2,000 years ago and he died on the cross for us, for our sins, died our death, one day he's coming back. And he'll be revealed as the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Hear me, family. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Now, looking at this text, the first verse, in a, in a short amount of words, it tells us exactly where we're going in the text. Don't miss this. So pay attention as we walk through the word of God together. Verse 1, we're introduced to the word new. Say new. The word new throughout the Bible has a couple, couple different uh, variations, different meanings. One meaning is when you read the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, and it talks about God creating something out of nothing. That new is called or is pronounced ex nihilo. Say ex nihilo. Ex nihilo. That means to create something out of nothing. So when God speaks light and life into existence or hangs the stars in the sky or creates animals or creates man out of the dust of the earth and blows breath into him, that's him creating something out of nothing. That's the new that we see there. That's ex nihilo. But when you flip to this passage, you see here in the first verse, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. That word is new is pronounced kainos. Say kainos. Kainos, this is new of a different kind. This means that when Jesus comes back, he's not going to create something out of nothing, but it will be new of a different kind. Follow me with this. For the believer, this means that when we get to heaven, we're going to see things that we've noticed here on earth. You'll see things and you'll be like, I recognize that. I recognize that street. I recognize, oh man, I remember that. Yep, yep, I know that. You, you'll recognize these things when we get to heaven. It won't necessarily, yeah, hear me. The old heaven, the old, the old earth, it will pass away. But the difference here, don't miss this, is that it will be qualitatively different. In other words, the quality will be different. But things may look the same or recognizable. For instance, I believe that we're going to work when we get to heaven. We're going to work when we get to heaven. We're not going to just be floating on clouds and singing hymns and and all that stuff with halos over our head. Y'all remember the cartoons, Tom and Jerry and all that stuff? No, we're not. We're going to work when we get to heaven. But here's the difference, because I heard somebody boo this thing. We're going to work without all of the sinful feelings that come with it. I mean, could you imagine work without greed? Work without insecurity? Work without the love of money, competition, power, performance. I know why y'all not amening, because here's the reality. That's, that's, that's where we exist right now. That's what we live in on a day-to-day basis. But this word right here is telling us that that's what we're going to experience. It's going to be new of a different kind. Things will be qualitatively different. But there will be things that we'll notice just new of a different kind. Like, y'all going to see me in heaven. Y'all going to be like, oh, that's Pastor D. But I'm going to look like, I'm going to be as tall as LeBron James, and I'm going to be built like the rock. (laughs) Qualitatively different. (laughs) The text says new. And when it says new, it's the fact that Jesus is not going to change everything or start from scratch, but instead, he's simply going to make everything better. 
By the way, I was just playing about the LeBron James thing and stuff. Now, what does this mean, though? He's going to make everything better. What exactly is he going to do? Follow me. Look back at verse 1. It says that the sea will be no more. Pay attention here because you'll get, you'll get lost in this and you'll miss what he's talking about. It's not extremely clear when he says the old heaven and old earth will pass away. Then it says the sea will be no more. What does that mean? This is not talking about bodies of water being gone. I do believe that when we get to heaven, we'll still see bodies of water. What this is talking about is darkness, rebellion, sin. It will be no more. You see this because biblically, if you read throughout the Old Testament or even in the book of Revelation, you see that this is where evil came from. It came from the sea. This is mentioned here. The beast came up from the sea. You see this in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, where it says the beast came out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. Then the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7, verse 3, it says that, that the four beasts came up out of the sea. So what we see here is that this is where evil comes from. But before we get carried away with evil and where it comes from and all that, let's not miss the point. The text says that the sea will be no more, thus saying that evil and sin will be no more. Don't miss it. What this verse is really telling us is that in the new heaven and in the new earth, when it comes, it will be qualitatively different in the fact that it will not have sin or evil in it. It will not be a place where evil exists, but instead righteousness dwells. So in essence... What this verse is telling us is that in the new heaven and earth, it will be a place where some of the things you will notice, they will look the same. But the huge difference will be that there will be no evil associated with it. There will be no sin. That's the new that the text is talking about. Some of y'all missing this thing, though. You're still missing it. Um, how many of y'all have eaten a, dunk, a donut from Dunkin' Donuts? Bless your heart. It's Dunkin' Donuts has got to be one of the nastiest donuts <laughs> on earth. I, I don't like Dunkin' Donuts. I, I grew up in Gary, Indiana, and Dunkin' Donuts was probably the only donut place we really had. And I just can't stand it. I mean, it's like a, it's a frozen donut that comes in and they heat it up and you get to eat that donut. And yeah, I'm going to be real. When in the 2000s, when they started making Krispy Kremes, y'all, I got excited. I was like, yo, it says it's hot. I can go get a donut that was freshly made, and it may have been frozen, but it looked fresh when I ate it and all that stuff. It was better than crisp. I mean, it was better than Dunkin' Donuts. And now the only place you can find them joints is in the gas station. And, and, but then on the other side, Dunkin' with a vengeance. I mean, you can find a Dunkin' Donuts on every corner in Chicago, more than any Starbucks any neighborhood donut place or coffee place, you can find Dunkin' Donuts everywhere. And it, po it poses the question, why? And how is this possible? <laughs> how does this happen? Did they, did they change the taste of the donut? No, it's still nasty. Frozen, all of that stuff. What did they change? Follow me. 
during the recession in 2008 and 2009, Dunkin' Donuts took their marketing team and they went behind closed doors and they said, well, what's going on here? Why, why are we not profiting the way we need to profit? And they figured out that they had been running all their ads on their coffee and they forgot the power of the donut. And so what they did is they remarketed everything, pushing the cheap cost of a donut, watch this, in hard times, namely a recession. And they put out the powerful slogan, y'all know it, America runs on Duncan. They remarketed and they made the donut part of their marketing plan to where the average person would hear it and see it on a day-to-day basis. But hear me, they didn't change the product. Their donuts still arrive to the store frozen every morning. They still nasty. They just changed the quality of their marketing. Don't miss it. They got rid of most of the coffee ads and marketing to, they started marketing everyday people and it took off. They changed the marketing One aspect, one quality of Dunkin' Donuts. The point I'm trying to make, family, is that when Jesus comes back, he's ushering in a new heaven. He's ushering in a new earth. And it won't be completely different than the earth and the heaven that exists now, but it'll be qualitatively different in one aspect. No sin and no evil. That's a day to look forward to. Now, I know I didn't get as many amens as I would like because that's hard to imagine. It's hard to think of. When we sit here with our finite minds and like, how in the world is God going to create a new heaven and a new earth? How is he going to take away evil and sin when all I got to do is flip on the news and I hear about mess all over the place? So if I walk out my house, I can hear gunshots and this and that. I mean, how in the world is he going to do this? And here's the deal. If we try to figure God out with our finite minds, figuring out an infinite supreme being in God himself, then one, your head is going to start hurting. And two, you will never figure it out. It takes faith takes trust. So hear me, what this truth about the new heaven and new earth does is that if we believe it gives us hope to hold on through all the mess and the pain because there's a day coming. No tears, no sadness. I can hold on. No pain, no suffering, I can hold on. No injustice, no racism, I can hold on. No death, no pandemic, I can hold on. Friends, remain hopeful and hold on because Jesus is coming back. The text moves on and it says, I I saw the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God adorned for her husband. Now, the question is, well, what is Jerusalem? Who is Jerusalem? New Jerusalem, listen, is pointing to the church or those that believe in Jesus. And believers are adorned, meaning restored with no sin or blemishes, just like a bride on her wedding day with that pretty white wedding dress. The groom is God himself. 
I love this passage because it says that God will dwell with us and we will dwell with God. Now, pause for a moment. Doesn't this sound familiar? I mean, if you flip to the uh, Genesis chapter one and two, you see that Adam and Eve, they're in the garden with God and they're dwelling with him. There's no sin. There's no pain. They're, they're in perfect harmony with God. No problems at all. But see, there's one main difference between what happens in Genesis and what happens in Revelation. The big difference is that there's not going to be any temptation. And no evil serpent slithering around trying to get you to do something you're not supposed to do. There will be no temptation, no sin, no evil lurking, none of that. And you learn this in verse 4. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So hear me. This is what believers have to look forward to. When Jesus died, he satisfied the wrath of God toward our sin on the cross. He took that upon himself where he, he satisfied the penalty and the, and the, and the power. He's taken us, he's taken all that upon himself. But, but what this passage is, is telling us is that one day believers will dwell with God and will be removed from the very presence of sin. So not only will he, he satisfy the penalty and free us from the power, but he'll free us from the presence. No sin. God will reverse the curse of sin that came through one man and he will wipe away the tear of every eye and death shall be no more. Which means for us, no more flipping on the news and seeing another dead teenager. No more flipping on the news and hearing about rap battles and people killing each other. No more flipping on the news and crying over the justice system not being just. No more flipping on the news and seeing racism and tensions all over the world and, and suicide bombings and terrorist attacks. No more greed, no more insecurity, no more racism, no more death, no more pain. But instead, those that believe will be with God forever and ever freed from this mess. Everything that once was perishable will now be imperishable. I say again, this is a day to look forward to. The text moves on in verse 5 and says, behold, I'm making all things new. Now, pause. I don't want you to miss this. In John 1.1, when you read that, it says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Next verse, it says that he spoke light and life into existence. Nothing that had been made had not been made except through Jesus. And you read down to John chapter 1, verse 14, and it says that the word became flesh. The word is Jesus. He said he came and he dwelt among us. Behold, we, we beheld the glory of God. You learn this in the first few verses of John chapter 1. And as you read, as I just mentioned it, you see that it says nothing that has been made has been made except through Jesus. So if Jesus, follow me with this, if he's the word and nothing that has been made was made without him, then Jesus created everything. But here in the text, it says the behold, I'm making all things new. So who's restoring everything? Who, who is the word of God that speaks and makes things happen? Who, who is making all things new? It's Jesus. He's the creator. He's the redeemer. 
He's the restorer. Y'all hear me? Jesus is worthy of our praise. He goes on to say in the passage, all these things are trustworthy and true. And then in verse six, I love this. He says, it is done. It's done. It's almost symbolic of when at the end of each day in creation, God looked at everything that he made. And not only did he say it was good, but he said, it's done. He said, it's good. And then he sits on that cross, Jesus on the cross. When he dies at the end, he says, it is finished. It's symbolic of these times. It's symbolic when he triumphed over death and sin and said, it is finished. Now he's making all things new. And he says, it is done. Basically saying that there is no more evil to worry about. He then says, I'm the alpha and the omega. Alpha being the beginning of the Greek alphabet. Omega being the last letter in the Greek alphabet. He's saying, basically, there was none before me and there will be none after me. I am the beginning and the end. I have the last say and the first say. I am the sovereign creator and the consummator. Y'all stick with me. I only got one clap. I promise if I'm not in your neighborhood soon, I'm going to be there. I promise. The text ends, hear me, we're coming home. He ends in verse six saying to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. What does this mean? What does this mean? What this means is that the spring of water of life comes from God. And he will give those who come to him drink. He will give them life. They will never thirst anymore. And there will be no penalty. That means when you come to God and you ask, he will give. But there won't be any evil or sin attached to what you're given. There will be no more pain. There'll be no problems associated with your life anymore. But instead, you'll have life and you'll dwell with God forever and ever. Friends, The whole point of what I'm trying to get at right now with everything that's happening right here in these first six verses is that one, when I read this, I get excited. But two, I get hopeful because this is a day to look forward to. Friends, hear me when we enter as we enter uh, the weeks leading up to Christmas and this Advent season, uh, we look to Jesus's birth and we, we celebrate Jesus coming This is a time where we slow down, but it's time for us to really celebrate who he actually is. Celebrating Jesus as the creator. Celebrating Jesus as the redeemer. Let us celebrate Jesus as the restorer. Let us all rejoice that Jesus has come, that he is, and he will come again. Let us adore him because we got something to look forward to. And see, here's the. We walked in here in all different types of places, mess on our minds, mess in our hearts. We're going through it. We're weary. We're more anxious than ever before. And here's the reality. The text is telling us that there is a day to look forward to. So hold on. Hold on. Hold on and look to Jesus. Friends, as we end and the band comes forward. We get ready to enter communion, time of communion. Remember I said at the beginning that a lot of people, we don't read Revelation because it's, it's scary. It's dark and it's gloomy. 
But then I said, for the believer, she give us hope. This is only true if we really believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. This is only hopeful if we truly believe in him. And I'm going to be honest, and I'm probably stepping to your, your house a bit with this one. Many of us in this pandemic, we might have thought we were believers, or we maybe have never placed our faith in Jesus before. And we've been more anxious than ever before. We've been more tired. We've been worried about everything, overcome with the world. The world is about to end. All of this mess that's on TV. You've been believing everything. You've been tossed to and fro by every wave of knowledge and everything that's come your way. And it's caused fear and anxiety. Some of you are having anxiety attacks right now, day in and day out. Nothing's even happening in your life, but you're just worried. And what this text does for us is it doesn't, it doesn't take us from the world we're living in right now, but it allows us to somewhat turn all that noise down and refocus our attention or for the first time focus on our attention and believe in Jesus. Because when we do, it gives us hope because there's a day to look forward to where Jesus is triumphant. Which means you and I win who believe. But that's only true if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Or else every day will be worse than the last. And conspiracy theories will overwhelm you, all kind of mess. text tells me that one day I'll be with my God and my Father. And on the other side, there are some of you that are believers in here. But yet, you've been in the same spot. Overwhelmed. Life has gotten the best of you and you're just ready to throw it all in. I believe in Jesus, but I'm tired and I feel like he's, he hasn't shown up. Well, he tells us that it's going to get worse before it gets better. And in those moments, not only do we need to trust and believe, but we need community around us. We need people to uplift us and encourage us to keep our eyes on him. And the reality is that many of you have been more isolated than you have ever been in your life. Some of you, this is your first Sunday back. You're not in groups. You don't have women or men around you encouraging you. And this walk was not made to walk alone. Friends, as we enter this, this season of holidays, I know this is tough for many of us. Many of us have lost loved ones in the last year that we haven't even gotten to see. Didn't get to say bye to. In the holidays period, it can be tough for that matter. There's friction in your family. There's all this mess happening. And everybody's like, oh, I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to Christmas, but not you. 
You know how you get through all of that mess? It's not staring at what's in front of you, but looking at what's to come. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We can have joy at the end of the day because our hope is not in what's around us, but our hope is in him. The text tells us that Jesus will make all things new. But until then, friends, let's hold on. Hold on. And let's trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You're truly a good and awesome Savior. God, I I do ask that you would cover our minds and our hearts. God, that you would ready our hearts to receive something awesome from you in this season, God, even if it's just the reminder of your goodness and reminder that you're there and that one day you're coming back and we'll dwell with you forever and ever in glory. God, I do pray for the person that's walking into this week or even came in this morning that's weary, worried about everything, overcome with anxiety. God, that you calm their heart and tell them you're here. As their word says in Psalm 34, that you're near to the brokenhearted. God, I pray that we would know that is truth. Pray for the person that walked in here that really does not know you, Jesus. And you've been tugging on their hearts, not only today, but for weeks. That right now they will place their faith in you, Jesus, saying, I'm done running my own life. I give you all of me, and I trust you and believe in you as my Lord and Savior. To that person, I say, welcome to the family. Father, we do thank you for your goodness. Let us believe your goodness. As we walk every day. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together, Amen. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.